This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You have to stay focused and be mentally tough. That's what I've really learned. Every day is a grind and you have to go hard. Chris Gronkowski. Um, I get... So many people get mad about that when I trash a backpack, you know, but going back to grunt proof, like what we would deal with in the military, our rucks, like in, in the Bradleys we would ride on, our rucks would be strapped to the outside or they would do it on the Humvees as well. And so you would be riding through whatever brush out in the field or, you know, the streets of Iraq and your stuff's just getting rubbed up against walls. It's taking fire and, you know, Plenty of times guys would come outside, go to grab the ruck and it's either not there or it's busted open and all their stuff's gone. So it's kind of like um, just testing the bomb proofness of bags. And uh, you know, most of the most of the bags I test, like I'm not gonna take an ultralight backpacking bag and do that. Cause I know it's just gonna get shredded. They're not designed for that. I'm Doc and this is the John freaking Mirapod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. 
an Army veteran who has combined his military background and his love for the outdoors into something pretty epic. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Randall Gillespie. How's it going, Randall? Hey, good, Doc. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Now, as we are talking, I am in Southern California. It is a nice, glorious, uh, well, cloudy, a uh, little bit rainy Sunday morning. Where, where are you calling in from? Uh, at this point, I'm in Germany, about 7,000 miles away from me. Okay. And we, we just talked a minute ago uh, that uh, the beverage that I'm drinking is coffee because I'm in the morning. And Randall is over there in Germany drinking what you would expect him to be drinking on a Sunday, Sunday late afternoon, early evening. He's got himself a nice beer there. So very appropriate. You're assuming people don't drink in the morning, but I'll go with it. <laughs> I am assuming that, but you know, uh, you know what happens when you assume. Okay. Hey, Randall, we, we typically go by trail names here on the podcast because that's a, a unique, peculiar American tradition for long trail through hikers uh, that somewhere along the way, they, they were given a trail name based on maybe some kind of personality quirk, maybe something uh, about where, where they're from, something that happened on the trail. Um, I've had people on the, on the podcast uh, with trail names like Long Story, uh, 127, uh, Ball Sack. Uh, cheese. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of interesting monikers out there in the course of your outdoor adventuring. Have you picked up a trail name? I have not, um, not really big in the, uh, backpacking community. So I had nobody to give me one. Um, so, you know, my channel's grunt proof, but, uh, if it works, we could go with what a lot of my old grunt army friends would call me. And that was just Mississippi. Like you usually pick up a nickname in the military, where you're from, what you suck at, what you're good at. And when I got that nickname, they didn't know me too well. So they're like, yep. Hey, Mississippi, come here. That's right. There, there are some parallels there. I mean, so nicknames in the military now, Mississippi, that's a lot of syllables. If something dangerous were to happen out on the trail and they were to call your name to get your attention, by the time they get that last syllable out, it might be too late. I don't know. Right. Well, then it was just usually, hey, you, or yeah. some kind of, you know, some kind of word you didn't want to hear, something about your mom or something, <laughs> yeah, but right. whatever they could do to get your attention. Right. Now, uh, Mississippi, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast or watch the podcast before? Yeah, just a couple episodes. I caught your last one um, with that. Uh, I think his name was Jason, I want to say. Uh, but yeah, I've only seen a few just uh, driving around, having them in my ear. Yeah. Jason Hardrath, quite a story with that guy. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a that was a good one. It was a fun listen. <laughs> I think he he could have been a little more insane on your scale. Like I was listening to it, like ah, come on, dude, go go crazy with it. Yeah, sometimes I think my my algorithm needs to change a little bit because the scores don't quite match up uh, as I as I go through the episode with the person. So, yeah, I I'll probably throw your scale off. I, I know um I have quite a few friends in that community. Actually, one of them is uh, the one that hooked us up Coleman and uh, you know, he's a big backpacker. So um, I, I have, I talk to those guys pretty frequently and we share stories and gear interests and all that. And usually a lot of the things I say, they're like, dude, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> or some of the things they'll say, I'm like, ah, I don't like that, man. So yeah, I might throw your scale off a bit. Okay. Well, we'll test it out. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Coleman because big shout out to Eric Coleman. 
Uh, he is one of one of my listeners out there. He lives near me, and he he is also the person who did maybe the coolest thing so far for the podcast, and that is that he made a sign for the podcast. It looks like one of those uh, signs you see out on the, see out on the trail. Uh, it's got the the John freaking Meerpot on it with some mountains. It's made out of reclaimed redwood. And I'm looking to my to my right here because it's up here on the wall in the studio. And at the very bottom, it's got our tagline: "Embrace the socks." So, Eric Coleman, you are an outstanding dude. Thank you so much for for doing that again. Yeah, that's awesome. He actually hooked me up. I think you can you might be able to see <clears throat> one of the smaller ones I got back here. Um, but yeah, he he's done a couple for me, and that's yeah, that's good work. He's a good dude. Yeah. He is a good dude. All right. Hey, Randall, I, I just asked if you had listened to some episodes. Just want to make sure that you are familiar with the format. It sounds like you are. We do have a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some uh, outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. And sounds good. Of course, you're expected to drop wisdom uh, throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook there at the very end. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I can't promise the wisdom might be some some anti wisdom, you know. But that's good if people learn from it. Works either way. Yeah. Well, wisdom comes from making mistakes, right? I mean, young people oh, yeah. they don't have a lot of wisdom because they they have they're they're still in the process of making their mistakes. So sometimes the the, the wisdom comes with the, with a good story too. Yeah. There you go. All right. The must bring gear review. Hey, Mississippi. Another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, six moon designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Randall, what, what's your must bring piece of gear out there in the winter in Germany or in other uh, environments? Wow, that's tough. Only one. Well, you you get you get kind of a, a generic. You'll get a generic pack, right? But if you say, you know what, this is the I, I need to have this one specific piece of gear. Uh, it's really important. Um, make sure you pack this. All right. If I get a uh, general setup, um, I guess the one thing we absolutely cannot forget is a lighter, a big lighter. All right, that's pretty inexpensive. That's not going to break the bank. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I can do, I can survive pretty much with any type of gear, no matter how good or bad it is. But uh, if I can't make a fire or if it's a dire situation, I can't make a fire, I'm bumming. <laughs> right. Now you see all these survival shows, people have got Flint, they're using, uh, you know, kind of the, the bow method, the bow and string method to to generate an ember. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? I, 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 I've said to myself, why don't they have a big lighter? I mean, that's, that's, that's an easy bring. Yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the baseline. You always train and learn with uh, the bare minimum. So like I did, I did a course um, over here in Germany and you have to learn all that stuff, but they will also reinforce, you know, if you're in a real world life or death survival situation, you know, if you have a lighter with you, like you're going to use it. So why not bring one anyway? So you don't have to depend on the, the primitive systems, you know, it's good to practice the stuff and, you know, make sure you could do it, but it also takes 30 seconds to put a couple lighters in your pack and you don't notice they're there until you need them. That's right. Now I know from taking a look at your YouTube channel that you do a lot of gear reviews. So I'm, ex I'm excited to talk to you about gear 
uh, this morning or this afternoon um, where you are. And uh, to help us do that, I've got another segment. It's the hiking pole. Called the hiking pole, and that's P-O-L-L uh, with two L's, not uh, not the kind of a poll that you carry in your hand out there when you're out on an adventure. This is a seven question survey, um, which will help me uh, give you a, a score on the sanity scale between one and a hundred with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, if I were to ask your friends and family, Mississippi, where, where you would fall on that scale, what do you think they'd say to me? Probably like 10, very close to insane. <laughs> 10. That that's, that's pretty low. If you asked uh, Coleman Outdoors, yeah, he, yeah, he'd probably give me like a one. <laughs> we've we've talked about gear, and he's like, "Man, you military guys." Yeah, I've got a I've got a buddy who um, was a he was in the Naval Reserve, and I believe he was a lieutenant commander uh, when he finished, and he did the John Muir Trail in the Sierras, basically with with nothing. And he, he reminisced about the good old days of uh, just, you know, walking through the mountains and kind of um, very, very minimal, just, you know, sleeping on the ground, no, no um, luxury items at all. And wow. just how great that was. It kind of gave me some insight into that, that military mentality. That's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Hey, I've got seven questions. Um, and Rather than just give me a simple short answer, it's always helpful to hear your your reasoning behind your answer. It helps me adjust the score accordingly. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So when you're out there in the back country, uh, trekking poles or no trekking poles? No poles for me, ever. Ever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's, you know, kind of coming from the grunt world we always had a weapon in our hand and i just i i never they, they i never saw the purpose of them for me even if i'm on rough terrain and climbing stuff i just kind of got in the habit of if i don't have something in my hands i want my hands free to i don't know defend myself climb on stuff you know dig in my pockets whatever so I've played with them a couple times. Like I've played with some shelters where you need them to set them up. And so that's pretty much the only time I used them. And I would kind of test out walking with them. And it just, uh, I, I think I've been walking around with packs for so long. It's, you know, it's more of just extra things to carry. Maybe when I'm older, I might need them. I don't know. Speaking of that, how old are you? Uh, 39. 39. 39 and holding. Yeah, <laughs> I just went to a 40th birthday party of a friend last night. And yeah, it's uh, it, that never really bothered me too much. But, you know, when I do think about it, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm getting old. I'm one of those old guys now. <laughs> but, you know, 40 is not that old. But I don't know when I was a kid, if you were if you talk to somebody who was 40, you're like, dude, you're old. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I remember I remember 39 very fondly. It was a good year. Um, so no, no hiking poles. You are always ready to deal with the situation in front of you, whatever, whatever may come around that corner. And that's with your, your hands empty. Uh, so you can, you can deal with that situation. Right. Got that, got that mindset. Got it. Got it. Or, you know, um, in the grunt world, we carry so much weight. You do fall a lot. So it's nice to uh, have your hands free and I could just see, um, a trekking pole going into my eye or I don't know. <laughs> It just felt kind of tied down with other things in my hand. 
Now, I know some of my listeners right now are shaking their heads and, and saying, you know, oh, yeah. you use poles, maybe you wouldn't fall down. And if, if the pole goes through your eye, you're holding it completely wrong. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? I'm interested to hear what the uh, the former army guy has to say on this. If I'm um, going out hiking and camping, um, especially through the brush, it's always boots. If I'm uh, just kind of doing like a glamping thing, maybe just taking my kids out on a little short hike, I'll, I'll even go out in converse chucks. So yeah, if it's like rough and tough outdoors, I'm, I'm a boots guy. Um, I just like the support and the toughness. That's, that's the thing, uh, Coleman would pick on me for. It's like, you got those five pound boots on running around, but I, you know, I, like I said, I will sport chucks a lot and, um, yeah, my feet will get torn up if I try to off-road in those. Right. Now, you know, they, they say that every pound on your foot is like an extra five pounds on your back. So you wear that heavy foot gear. Uh, it's it's an added burden. And I'm, I'm also interested to hear, you mentioned glamping. What, what, what qualifies in your mind for glamping? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, when I started getting back into the outdoor life, in the States, um, what I would call camping, like at least my close family and friends, they would call that primitive or wild camping. Or I think where you're at, they call it dispersed camping. Mm-hmm. So I always thought camping was like a tent and you're out in the woods. So when I started seeing like buildings and showers, you know, the, the Europeans are big on that style. You don't just go in the woods and set up like I do. Um, so I, yeah, I'll get in trouble for it, but I'll call that glamping. Like if you got showers, if you have a hard structure, um, cause yeah, it's to, especially when you see the RV guys, you know, they got their TVs and barbecues and it's like, okay, so it seems like you just took your house on the road and, you know, went to a designated site. Yeah. So that's, that's all glamping for me. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get much argument from me or from any of my listeners on that. I think if you're showering on a regular basis or if you're you're ending your day at a pub or a, a restaurant uh, each day, that, that that's that's really not uh, anything too tough. Yeah, me and Coleman were talking about that. That's the cool there with the grunts, the infantry guys in the military. There's a lot of similarities there. There's a, a lot of differences between my types and like backpackers but there's a lot of similarities. And one of those is being dirty and stinky almost all the time, you know, and it's not a big deal. You get used to it, you know, baby wipe showers. If you have anything, there you go. Now, one of the, the, the common phrases or common themes that, that runs through a lot of episodes is the fact that uh, long distance through hikers, and maybe this applies to uh, grunts as well, is that they become very comfortable being uncomfortable. It's uh, they have yeah. learned to live in, in that uncomfortable situation. And it doesn't bother them. Is that, you think that's, that's a pretty accurate statement for grunts as well. hundred percent. You know, they say uh, embrace the suck a lot. And I've actually heard some backpackers say that that's one reason why I, I like watching a lot of the backpacker adventures on YouTube, because they're dealing with a lot of hardcore stuff. And, you know, they're saying a lot of things where I, I can think about my times as a grunt, like, oh, yeah, I, I get that. You know, and it's it's part of the adventure. You know, the the tougher the journey is, the more the, you know, the more worth everything it is at the end. 
Like if you're climbing a mountain or, you know, you do a long stretch one day, you're like, this is awesome. I'm freezing my butt off, you know, my feet hurt, my back hurts, but it's like, you know, look at this view or, you know, something like that. It's uh, that's part of it. Yeah. Without the adversity, isn't it, is it really an adventure? I think, I think you have to have a little bit of uh, each in there. Yeah, totally. And we've talked about that. Some of the best sites that people uh, tell us about some of the best experiences come after a very difficult stretch, whether you're going straight uphill for miles on end, or you, you come through a, a terrible storm or something, you know, that, that is the the memory right after that. That's what they remember. That's what they share the beauty, the, the glory. And it's, uh, I think that the two are intertwined. Definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. All right. Question number three, back to the poll. When it comes to shelters out there, are you uh, are you a tent guy, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? I'd say mostly uh, hammock, hammock and tarp. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. If it's um, a lot of it's situational dependent, but <clears throat> I'd say a hammock and tarp is my go-to. And uh, when it starts to get super cold, that's when I'll probably go to the ground but it'll still, then it'll just be a tarp and I'll kind of do like a small A-frame or what we call a body bag setup. Uh, the only time I use tents is when I'm actually testing them for my channel, but I generally don't, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, people complain about bugs and stuff. Well, that's why I'm in the hammock. So to get off the ground. And when it comes, when it comes to, uh, to the grunts and military out there, when you're out on a, a multi-day mission out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, what, what do they tape with them? That's yeah. Then it's totally rough. And it, what you call cowboy camping, if yeah. you're lucky, like uh, for us, if usually our field training, like getting ready for a deployment was tougher because we didn't want to set ourselves up thinking we'd always have sleep gear and cold weather gear. Um, but like on a, on a patrol, if you're out for a couple of days, you know, downrange, you're lucky if you even have a sleeping bag with you. So it's kind of cold weather gear, sleep on the ground. And it's, it really just depends on the mission, but like field training, you know, we would try to bring a, at least a poncho with us. So you're, you could get out of the elements, but, um, you know, that's, that's what I would talk to a lot of my just camping buddies about is security is the main priority. So your, your comfort and warmth and all that, that's all, low priority so it's not just us being dumb hardcore you know like well we're gonna go sleep in the dirt and eat rocks because it's fun it's like well if you got you know eight guys out there on a patrol you're trying to be stealthy if you got a whole bunch of guys setting up bivvies and shelters and all this stuff like you lose your stealth you know you lose security so it's like all right well half of you're gonna stay awake for an hour and pull security the other half get your head down to get some rest and uh, it's in the infantry. I'd say most of the sleep I got, if you call it sleep, I still had my pack on, you know, weapon right here. And we just lay on our backs and your pack is your bed. You just go to sleep that way. If it's raining, you know, you'll pull your poncho out, throw it over your head. If you're in like a, we'd say kind of a permissive environment where maybe you don't think you're going to get attacked or it's not likely that's when we'll start pulling out, you know, bivvies and sleeping bags and, uh, if it's horrible weather, you know, we'll set up little A-frame shelters with our ponchos. So 
that's usually the kind of stuff I'm talking about on my channel um, when I'm not like reviewing a tent or something, you know, just, just kind of to show people like, yeah, you can't sleep this way. And it's not, it's not terrible. You, we would be grateful just to have that poncho over our heads, you know? Right. And I guess, I guess tents, bivvies and hammocks uh, would not allow the responsiveness that you need to, to have when you're in a non-permissive environment. You're like, okay, oh, you yeah. the, can, tents, you, can, tents you no can you just hang on for a second while I, I put away my tent? Uh, get it all packed up and then I'll, <laughs> I'll engage with you in, in terms of uh, defending our site here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, just the fact of having a whole bunch of guys trying to set up tent, you lose security because everybody's making noise. Nobody's paying attention. So like in the infantry world, we didn't have tents. It was poncho A-frame if you were lucky. <laughs> There's were no lucky. tents. <laughs> nice. All right. Now, when it comes to, this is question number, what do we got? Four here. Question number four, when it comes to sleep systems, when you're out there, maybe not uh, uh, on a patrol, but when you're out there, just yourself here, are you, in terms of your sleeping gear, is it sleeping bag or quilts for you? Uh, mostly a mostly a sleeping bag. Um, generally, I'm fine with the, the military's modular sleep system. It's a really big, heavy, bulky, synthetic system. Um, I just started playing with a, it's tech, it's not really a quilt like you guys call it. It's one of those enlightened equipment, um, sleeping bags that you can unzip like a blanket. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of having fun with that one, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost always a sleeping, sleeping bag set up usually with a bivy. Okay. Now you, and that sleep system, if you use that full sleep system, it's like five pounds. <laughs> So that's what I was going to ask about that. You said the military modular sleep system. What, what are the different modules in that sleep system? Well, you got your bivy. Um, you have a, what we call a jungle bag. That's like your summer sleeping bag. It's, it's rated down to 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which is not true. Um, and then you have your thicker intermediate bag. We just call it the winter bag. So it's technically three pieces and, um, yeah, it's, it's almost five pounds altogether. And so what a lot of us would do was if you're in warmer environments, you just sleep in the bivy. So you're cutting down weight and space and that's, it's not like the standard civilian bivy. It's pretty big and heavy and thick. Like I've slept in monsoon rains just in that and woke up dry, uh, and then the only time we would actually use the entire system of it is. You know, I'm from Mississippi, so I'm, I'm a lot colder, faster than other guys. So once it gets close to freezing, I'll go to that thicker intermediate bag along with the bivy. And that intermediate bag, I think, is rated to 10 degrees, which is also horse crap. So if, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm in the entire system. But that's me. Right. And that's probably. I mean, in a, in a non-permissive environment, that would also be troublesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because, um, a lot of people only think about the weight, but like grunts, we're not too concerned with the weight because you're going to carry too much weight either way. And so what we were usually thinking about is space for food and ammo, you know? So, um, that big bulky sleep system that just cuts into where you could put ammo. So you can strap it on the outside of your bag, but, um, that's, also troublesome if you're running through brush, you know, and you're getting caught on stuff. So 
uh, there's a lot of factors involved and in how you would decide stuff. But I would say almost every time we went out, we were all cold and miserable all the time. <laughs> Cause if you wanted to carry everything you needed, you know, you'd have a hundred pounds on you. And so how, how effective are you in the fight with that much weight on you? You know? So it's like, well, I got all these bullets, all this water, all the food, you know, and all this extra crap they threw on me at the last minute. So, okay, there goes my sleeping bag. You know, <laughs> I'll wear my base layer and just hope that works. <laughs> got to make some hard choices out there as, as part of the adversity. Now, speaking of weight, yeah. what, what is the, what would you say the typical uh, pack weight is for, for a, a grunt out there? Uh, for general patrolling, um, like maybe you're out for a day, possibly an overnight, your, your combat gear, like your, your helmet, vest, weapon and ammo and water that's on that, that's probably 30 pounds, maybe 40, depending on what stuff you have on your vest. And then your pack's probably going to be 30 to 40 pounds, depending on, you know, it all depends on the mission and what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty realistic. Probably anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds of gear total. Hey, Mississippi, I'm never going to complain about my pack weight ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why every now and then I'll get a jab in at the backpackers, you know, <laughs> counting every ounce. And uh, Coleman, you know, he, he came out for my seer challenge and was picking on me about that. He's like, I know you're not out there, climb, you know, walking 20 miles a day and climbing 4,000 feet today with a 50 pound ruck, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that, that's true, you know, but you could also, if you're, if you're worried about, you know, two ounces in your loadout, like maybe you could hit the gym a little more, you know, <laughs> if you're getting that crazy about it. Yeah. And the rucksack is, is not exactly an ultralight item as well. I mean, that's probably what, uh, three, four, five, six pounds, seven. Yeah, nothing in the military surplus is light. It's all heavy, bulky, and, you know, it's all designed to be um, used by multiple soldiers. So, like, when you get issued this stuff, you know, probably 20, 100 guys, you don't know, have used this stuff before you. Mm -hmm. So, it's got to be designed to, to last a long time and be abused. Like I always talk about with our sleep systems, we come back from the field, guys just throw their stuff all together in the washer and dryer high heat, everything, you know, if you issue down sleeping bags to soldiers, it'd be ruined after the first field op. Cause they're not going to wash it in the bathtub and all that stuff. So, which, you know, the stuff is durable and last, you know, a very long time, but at the same time, it's where all the weight comes from. So it's just kind of what you're stuck with. So it seems to me that you're in a very different uh, school of thought than last week's guest, uh, Matt Pretzel Mason, who is a wildland firefighter, who his his uh, his base weight for the Continental Divide Trail was six pounds. And when I talked to him about whether or not he he breaks his toothbrush in half, he, he says he breaks his bamboo toothbrush in half just to save those extra couple of grams there. Well, you know, a grunt would just leave the toothbrush at home. <laughs> I'm out for two days. I'll just do the finger thing with some mud, whatever, get the sugar out of my teeth. Nice. Yeah, That's but right. um, right. I've definitely learned to appreciate, um, even when I was a young infantry guy, most of us would try to shave weight where we could. You know, um, I mean, if you cared about your back and knees, 
you would. So definitely since I've gotten back into all this, I've, I've learned to appreciate, you know, like you don't, you know, if you are just going out for a regular hike and you got 50 pounds on your back, like, yeah, you've definitely done something wrong. So, you know, just so people listening, like not all us veterans are just running around with all this gear on our back for no reason. It's like, that's <clears throat> all the pain I have. And think about those painful patrols and stuff. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just going for two nights, like, all right, 30 pounds. That's good. I'm not going to go over that, you know. Very ultra light, Randall. Very ultra light. Nice. <laughs> right. That is ultra light for us. <laughs> I'll, I'll use that terminology on my channel and people will like comment down there and get mad at me like that's not ultra light and i'm like okay well relative to 50 pounds in a pack yes it's ultra light yeah you probably you probably need to have a definition of terms down at the bottom of of your site to let people know you know what is light ultra light uh and what that translates to with with the grunt the grunt proof uh mentality yeah there's uh yeah my, my ultralight and regular people ultralight <laughs> and there's a scale. <laughs> right. All right. Question number six, um, is life better above or below the tree line? You know, I set myself up for failure because I heard this question on your last talk and, uh, I just responding immediately. I'd probably say above, but I grew up on the Gulf coast on the beach and there, you know, there's some amazing sunsets right there on the water. So I'm not sure anymore. I guess if we're talking in terms of uh, reward after a long day of doing something, you know, if we're talking about hiking, then yeah, you know, up there in the clouds is where you want to be. I thought for sure that you, without hesitation, you would say down below the tree line, being from Mississippi. And then uh, I'm assuming in Germany, you know, there's a lot of forest in Germany. I've heard about uh, a lot yeah. of forest space. Yeah, we're in the rolling hills of uh, Western Germany. So we got kind of, we got some jagged rocks where we're at, but uh, no coastline where I'm at. Okay. And question number seven, uh, this, I almost feel silly asking you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, what's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Uh, well, I would say pack weight because, uh, you know, I, I carried a lot of stuff in the grunt world, but it, most of it wasn't luxury. So yeah. yeah, I'd say if you have to choose between comfort stuff and, you know, your weight, you know, pack weight. Okay. All right. Let me run the, run your answers through the uh, John freaking Mirpod algorithm here. I got to do some math. Just bear with me a little bit here. So I'm going to carry the two. Going to multiply by pi and divide by root three. And we're going to adjust for the temperature inside your, Army boots after a 20 click forced march, and I come up with a score of 37. It's a little bit higher, so I'm not sure my scale is quite right. You know, you, you said 10, uh, I've got 37 for you. That is subject to adjustment as we go through the episode, though. All right, it's not zero, so I'm happy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not zero. All right, before we get too far down the trail, Randall, let's back up a little bit. We'd love to hear about uh, your background, where you grew up. Um, sports and hobbies you may have played in, in high school and, and tell us about how you got into the military. Well, grew up in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, Gulf coast, uh, casino, military base, tourism town. Um, not like your stereotypical Mississippi. A lot of that's up North. Um, I was 
pretty big in sports, baseball and football. So um, pretty much, yeah, sporty all around. And uh, if I wasn't doing sports, I was out running around with my buddies, usually in the woods near our back bay. Um, so I didn't run around barefoot like that stereotype, but I was definitely playing with snakes and throwing rocks at alligators and, you know, that good old outdoor stuff camping with like shower curtains or whatever plastic we could find. Um, you know, I so, had, I had on the podcast, uh, a guy who I think grew up in Mississippi, grew up in the, in the backwoods in the swamps in Mississippi, uh, Phil Tucker. Oh, well. He, uh, unfortunately he has, he has since passed away, but he mentioned that his go-to, his must bring piece of gear was a shower curtain. First time I'd ever heard that. I was, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about, Phil? And now to hear you, another Mississippi boy, talk about uh, shower curtain that that just kind of resonated. Well, if you're a kid, you know that's that's easy to get. You just rip it down in the bathroom and try to have it back before your mom figures it out. That's a good. I'm gonna have to go check that one out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so you're telling us about growing up back there and uh, big in baseball and football. And did you immediately go into the military right after high school, or how'd that work? No, I um I graduated and went to junior college and this was like late 2000 and 2001 so I'm I'm um, not really happy with it doing junior college just you know after high school I was I was ready to just move on not sitting desks anymore um and then 911 happened and I got to be one of those that watched it live on TV and I was actually like skipping college that day so you know, my buddy kicked in the door and it's like, dude, we're under attack. So watched it live and I didn't join immediately after that. Um, but like as like a year and a half later, I joined and it was definitely a driving factor combined with being 19 years old and still not doing anything with life. Like, you know, typical military guy story just wasn't going anywhere. Um, had no idea what I wanted to do. And since graduation, I had had an army recruit recruiter on me like all the time. And, you know, I was always like a, like my friends and family, they were like, you're the last guy I would think would join the army, you know, cause I'm just one of those kids that I did my own thing. Always thought outside the box. If people yelled orders at me, I would just ignore them even more. <laughs> so, um, finally, you know, just the 9-11 you know realizing like i had buddies i graduated with they're over there in afghanistan already and we see the iraq thing coming up and i'm like you know i'm not doing anything so i called up the same recruiter that had been bugging me it's like hey tell me about this army thing you know and i'd seen all like a lot of the popular movies but you don't really know until you actually get into it and you know so uh, I, I'd heard the term infantry, but, you know, I asked him, he's like, yeah, you know, it's the guys that, you know, go look for bad guys and shoot stuff and blow stuff up. And I'm like, I want to do that. You know? And he's like, well, you know, we're, we're at war. We're about to open up a second war. I'm like, I don't care, man, let's do it. You know? So I think I shipped off to basic in April, 2003. And that was it, you know, basic did a army jump school and then went out to, a mechanized infantry unit here in germany and yeah that's why i'm here now <laughs> never left all right and in terms of uh tours did you 
Did you get to see time in either Afghanistan or Iraq? Yeah, both theaters. I did Iraq two times as an infantry guy. And then um, later on, I got out and was in the reserves over here in Europe doing civil affairs, which is totally opposite from infantry, totally different mentality. And I went to Afghanistan doing that. And that was um, that was pretty cool. But it, it's funny, I, I joined like, yeah, as I joined, you know, I think the invasion of Iraq began in March of 03, I believe. And so um, I'm telling my mom like, yeah, you know, I'm going to basic and then I'm going to do this infantry thing. And she's like, oh, you know, we're at war. And I'm like, that's ah, going to be like the Gulf War. That'll be over with. Like in my head, I'm thinking like, I hope it's not over with because I'm not doing this to sit around in the office and not fight. I want to go. And so got out of basic and all that stuff and headed off to Germany. And like the day I arrived in Germany, they're, they're telling us, hey, your whole division's deployed to a Baghdad right now. You guys are here for a month. You're going to get trained up, do some classes, and then you're going to meet them over there. And I'm like, cool. So I get to call my mom. Hey, Germany's cool. Um, I'm going to Iraq next month, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned civil affairs. You did civil affairs in uh, over in Germany and then in Afghanistan. What What is civil affairs exactly? That's very hard to define. It's really like um, anytime the military is dealing with a civilian population, we're kind of like the liaisons. But there, I mean, there's, yeah, it's, I'm trying to think of a good uh, way to put it, but because there's different missions everywhere you go. So like in Afghanistan, you know, you got the, military guys trying to look for bad guys and all that our job as civil affairs at that time was to help kind of build up the local government you know so in 2012 already we knew we were leaving afghanistan at some point so it was all transitioning to them like like this is where you get your funding from you know i would talk to like health directors education directors stop calling us when you have a problem call this dude at your lo local district center you know, so like overall, we're, we're like the, the civilian population kind of liaisons on the battlefield. And so it. it all depends on the mission. It's a pretty, a very interesting job. I had a lot of fun with it. I can imagine. I can imagine. And um, when, when was your separation from the army? Well, active duty from the infantry was, uh, I think, 2007. And then... Um, I got out and stayed here and went straight into the reserves. And so I just retired completely uh, October, 2021. And like, I did a lot of, if you're in the reserves, you can do active duty. Like you can volunteer for missions. And so luckily being in Europe, um, civil affairs had a, we had a lot of jobs. So I'd say like my total 18 years in, or we'll say uh, 11 with civil affairs, you know, I was probably gone 200 days out of the year doing civil affairs stuff. So um, you could be a typical reservist in that line where you just do like one weekend a month training and all that. And every now and then you do a deployment um, or, you know, like I said, we had so many missions going on. You could just volunteer to go do all kinds of stuff. So 
in the reserves, but mostly active duty. But, um, yeah, like I just retired in, uh, 2021 and that was like a medical retirement. So that was kind of cool. Got out just before the 20 <laughs> without having to stay in longer. Right. Right. And with, with, uh, almost, almost 20 years in, um, what kind of, is that, that, does that afford you a, a pretty good retirement from the military? Are you able to, does that allow you to do some things that you want to do now? Well, the, the army retirement, it's not, it's not great, but mainly because you can't double dip anymore. Like if you have uh, VA disabilities, they, re- they minus your retirement out of that. So even if you have a great army retirement and you have a VA disability, one's going to get canceled out. So, um, which kind of bums us out because, you know, <laughs> most of our government and a lot of other employees, you know, connected to the state and stuff, they, they get to retire, they keep their pensions and they can also go work like six figure jobs. So, right. yeah, but you know, it's, it's, um, I, I'm grateful for what I get. It's enough to, uh, in com- combination with the other stuff I do, it's, it's fine, you know? Okay. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, some information, uh, some discussion about grunt proof and what that is all about and what you're doing right now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast. 
podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We were talking to Randall Gillespie, uh, a.k.a. kind of Mississippi. Um, we'll see. It, it feels pretty good talk, uh, calling you Mississippi. I like that. It's, a, it's got a good ring to it. Yeah. And we just heard about uh, kind of his background, went through the hiking pole with him. And now we're going to talk about some adventures and also uh, explore what Grunt Proof is all about. So, uh, Randall, have you had the chance to really have any <clears throat> – uh, good adventures out there, whether in, in Germany or in, in Mississippi, uh, any, any great memories of being out in the middle of nowhere and doing some fun stuff? Yeah, I'm uh, hiking and outdoors almost every day doing something. So like I have, I'm fortunate enough to have plenty of time during the day to get out and do whatever I want, but I do own property up there in Northern California and that's where the seer challenge happens. So I'd say my greatest adventures in the last couple of years have been out there. Um, either playing with new gear, uh, camping, you know, out on my ATV screwing around, but just exploring like, you know, the Sierra Nevadas, you know, it's a amazing area. So that's probably my, my best times in the outdoors. Yeah. That's one of our favorite areas to talk about. Uh, you, you may see that it's uh, evolution Lake. Uh, in my in my background here up in the up in the Sierras where exactly is your is your property in Northern California it's about an hour down the road from Yosemite okay so every time I have people out you know we do uh white water rafting down there on the Merced and then we make a ride I got a pass to Yosemite then we come back through Yosemite to show them the you know the oohs and ahs of that and we talked a little bit earlier about the the uh, linkage between adversity and adventure. Uh, you ever, you ever have any, any adversity out there where you thought, you know, what, Oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into or any of your, your friends out there who are experiencing it for that? Maybe the first time. Yeah. All the time. Um, every day is an adventure out there. Like we got a cabin that was built in 1972. So just renovating that thing and making it more livable. <clears throat> that's been an adventure, but you know, I, I get a lot of flat tires on the ATV and I either end up camping where that, where I'm at and I'll just, all right, I'll figure it out in the morning or walking all the way back home with whatever I have left on me. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I, I've, I've had a lot of friends come out there to visit and, um, outside the people coming for the seer challenge. Like I just had a group of Germans that came out there and met me in May. So I showed them. That was their first trip to America. So we did a, a lot of long hikes and campouts and, you know, just showing them that. And just, I think that that was the funnest thing is people who haven't been in that kind of environment, you know, just watching them learn about stuff and experience it for the first time, you know, so that that's their, they were German army guys. So they've been around weapons and stuff like that, but 
you know, me slapping a right, uh, a pistol on my hip to go out on the ATV, you know, they're like, you could just carry a gun. I'm like, yeah, dude, we're in the woods, you know, and, uh, going out just camping and them seeing me put a bear bag up, you know, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, in case a bear comes through and they're like, bears will walk through here. I'm like, yeah, dude, like, you know, it's, this is the, this is the wilderness, man. And so the worst thing you could deal with in Germany is pigs, but if they're screwing around your camp, you know, you yell at them, they run off, you know, you, you're not going to get eaten by a pig. <laughs> I guess you're in Hannibal. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, it's, it's always an adventure, whether I'm working on my cabin and dealing with that nonsense of, you know, repairing a house or out testing gear or, you know, getting lost in the woods. It's always, it's always fun. And like you said, with the adversity, you know, I, I just alert, I enjoy it now. Like, you know, I, we get a lot of flat tires cause those mains need a, when they're, when the branches have been dead for a long time, it's, it might as well be a knife. So that just kills the, the ATVs. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where I just, all right, well, I'm camping here with whatever I got or, you know, like, all right, it's 12 miles home. I could do that. Go get the trailer, <laughs> drive out there, pick it up. Hopefully nobody stole it, you know, but it's kind of all part of the life. All part of the life. Love it. Now I, I've mentioned uh, grunt proof a couple of times, um, but we, we really haven't defined, you know, what that is or what that means. You want to, you want to take us through what grunt proof is and what it's all about? Yeah. I mean, the name is just the first thing I thought of, like in the army, we'll say Joe proof. Nothing is Joe proof. Uh, Joe is just any standard soldier and kind of like regular people will say idiot proof or dummy proof, you know? Um, so our gear is tough and rugged as it is. Like you can always find a way to destroy it. And, um, just kind of how I started grunt proof that just seemed fitting. Like I'm, I'm playing with camping gear or tactical stuff. And, um, I was looking at like buzzwords in the marketing these companies would use, you know, like, especially like tactical and survival and, all these big words. So I'm like, all right, well, survival could be pretty rugged. You can't baby your gear. You know, it's got to be tough. So I started playing with stuff and just approaching it from that mentality. And so that's kind of where that word grunt proof came. Like it's all my army buddies make fun of me. They're like, dude, nothing is grunt proof. And so I, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm telling people what is the closest you can get, you know, that can survive abuse, long-term use and, yeah, you know, being a dummy with your gear. So is grunt proof, is this a, a business? Is it a a presence on the on on social media? I mean, what what is grunt proof? What have you turned this into? Yeah, well, the main thing is the YouTube channel where I put most of the videos up. Like I have Instagram and Facebook just to kind of share new new posts I make. Um it's kind of turning into a community just um just because i've had a lot of veteran buddies you know um getting involved and sharing stuff with me and just some of the people i have that actually do follow my silliness you know they're 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 pretty hardcore about you know trusting my word on stuff so it's i'm kind of happy about that to make it kind of a community oriented thing because i'm not an expert in anything and I'll tell people that up front, like I'm just a dude in the woods. And so, you know, I, I generally will ask people to comment on a video 
mainly because I, I don't know. Like if I'm talking about something, I just don't understand. I don't pretend. So I think that's where the community part comes from because, you know, there's a lot of people watching YouTube videos that should have their own channel, but they don't. So those are like, you know, that's the community part of it, getting those people to talk about stuff. Um, but it's kind of branched out into, I'll show off some of the adventures I do every now and then and getting into some of the preparedness stuff. And, you know, recently with the SEER challenge, that's been kind of like my main focus for a while, in addition to, you know, putting up some of the gear videos. Okay. So we'll get to the steer challenge in just a little bit here, but if someone were to go to the grunt proof YouTube channel, what kind of content can they expect to find there? Yeah, mostly gear reviews, some uh, outdoor adventures and, um, yeah, preparedness. That's, okay. uh, I get a little bit into fitness too. Okay. Now with the gear reviews, do you, do you really put the gear through its paces, um, to, to see if it's grunt proof or not? And how does that, how does that work? Oh yeah. Um, I try to destroy everything and it sucks cause I pay for most of the stuff on my own. So it sucks having like a $300 backpack that I just destroyed. But in, in the beginning, it was kind of more just like, um, straight up abuse, just seeing what, what, what would happen. And that was more for entertainment. So I eventually, uh, figured out a, a methodology. Like I have a system I'll put different types of gear through. And so if you see, like, if I'm reviewing a backpack, you'll see me do a, a drag test. That's what I named it. So I strap it to a rope on the back of my ATV and I go flying down the road. And, you know, it's pretty haphazard, but I have like a certain distance I do at a certain speed I use. So it's a little objective, but um, I get so many people get mad about that when I trash a backpack, you know, but going back to grunt proof, like what we would deal with in the military our rucks, like in, in the Bradleys we would ride on, our rucks would be strapped to the outside or they would do it on the Humvees as well. And so you would be riding through whatever brush out in the field or, you know, the streets of Iraq and your stuff's just getting rubbed up against walls. It's taking fire and, you know, plenty of times guys would come outside, go to grab the ruck and it's either not there or it's busted open and all their stuff's gone. So it's kind of like... um <laughs> just testing the bomb proofness of bags. And uh, you know, most of the, most of the bags I test, like I'm not going to take an ultralight backpacking bag and do that. Cause I know it's just going to get shredded. They're not designed for that. But what I'm really going for with that is these companies that are, they'll, they'll say like military grade and call their bags military grade. So that's really what I'm looking for is, okay, well, is it military grade? Because military grade bags, the drag test would do, it does nothing to them. It's no problem. So that's kind of the standard I'm, I'm applying to it, you know? So it's pretty funny. I'll have people ask if I'm going to do drag tests with tents, you know, like have a tent behind the quads. Like I could, that would be fun, but I can't think of a real world application where that might happen to your tent. Like, but I will talk about tents. If you don't stake them down, they're going to get blown away and get bashed up against trees and stuff. And I've had that happen to tents. So that's where I will kind of abuse them a little bit, but, um, yeah, I kind of have a system for how I test everything. And, you know, if I break something, it's, it's, you know, it's good for the video, but it's also good to show people like, all right, well, they call this a survival blanket and I couldn't even stake it out as like a halfway lean to shelter. So how are you going to survive with this? And so, 
most people are like, okay, cool. You know, glad I didn't buy that. And then I, you know, every now and then I have people that are mad at me for trashing it, you know? So it's, it's fun either way. So you're spending your money, you're buying this stuff uh, to destroy it. So other people can learn from that, but it's, it's all hitting your, your bottom, your bottom line. Yeah. I, I started with a lot of, uh, you know, when you separate from the military, you walk away with duffel bags of free stuff. So I started with a lot of my issued equipment and every now and then I'll break out some of this stuff. Um, but I, I ran out of that. So I had to start buying stuff like every now and then companies will send me things to play with. Um, but I'm not like a big name where I just have, you know, trucks worth of stuff coming in. So it's usually like, I'll, I'll see what I want to look, what I want to test. And, oh, that looks cool. Let me check that out. All $300. Great. You know, <laughs> so I, I have to like honor my ethics and actually go through with the test and just, you know, cry about the money, but you know, it's, it's worth it. It's fun. And, you know, I get to show people stuff and we can all learn from it. All right. And in the, in your grunt proof gear testing, what have you found to be some of the top items out there? If, I, if we were trying to pin you down on uh, some of the, 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 uh, the big items <clears> out there, like in terms of a pack, I mean, what, what pack has held up the best? I would say uh, all the military grade ones, they're awesome. My favorite is the the um, Army Molly Medium Ruck. That's uh, it's about a 30 liter, 35 liter bag. Um, you know, so like the new Army Ruck is this giant, like, you know, monstrosity. Um, but it's, it's way too big and bulky and heavy. So that's probably my favorite pack. Cause it has a very light plastic frame, like a carbon frame that conforms. You can wear it with or without a camelback on your back. Cause, um, you know, grunts, <clears throat> well, pretty much all soldiers down range, you have a camelback strapped to your gear, your vest on your back. So being able to put a pack on above that was very important. Um, cause you couldn't always just take your water bladder off. Uh, but also because it's it's very light, I couldn't tell you the weight. It's under five pounds for sure, and it's it fits exactly what you <clears throat> what you need for you know overnight, maybe two nights, depending on the season. And it's very versatile. Yeah, our listeners out there, remember there is a there is a, uh, a a glossary of terms when we're talking with Randall. When he says it's very light, that doesn't that doesn't apply to what you think is is usually uh, your definition of very light. But I, I I can appreciate that. Yeah, relative to the abuse that thing could take, it's light. Right. Yes. <laughs> yep. Now, how about a tent? When it comes to the, all the tents that you've you've tested out there, what what is your go to tent or most most durable? That'd probably be the Army um, improved combat shelter. And your, your fans will love this one. That, that's about a four and a half pound tent. Oh, that's pretty uh, light. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Randall, it's it's light. Randall light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, if you're going, if you're going to use a tent and you want it to be tough, that's probably been my favorite. There, there's some others that I'm working on right now, but I don't, I don't want to put my name on it yet because uh, I'm still kind of putting them through stuff, but there is a, I guess it would be considered a light tent for you guys. It's from Pyraom. It's a Ukrainian company. And that's the one where you have to have, uh, you have to use trekking poles or sticks, or you could do a guy line to, mm -hmm. to pitch it. 
and that thing was that thing was really light like i had it packed up like this in my cargo pocket and um that was it it survived everything i put it through i don't know if it would survive long term like these heavy army tents but it was definitely like tough like i i left it out in like blizzards and just like dumped snow on it and didn't collapse and hasn't ripped yet so um yeah pure ohm solo and that's that tent but it's yeah that's like feathers to me <laughs> yeah i bet i bet now how about uh a sleep system in terms of a sleeping bag is there is there one that you've put through its paces yeah there's a lot of really good tough ones um my favorite's always the the modular sleep system we just say mss um simply because it's just it'll it'll last forever you know you can and it's synthetic so you can wash and dry it and it's like with the temperature rating you know it's designed for soldiers to sleep in it so when you're out in the field as a soldier you're wearing all of your stuff like all your long johns whatever you're going to get out and fight in that's what you're sleeping in so that's how it's rated um plus the bivy is awesome and then I would say uh, another one that's really awesome is this uh, Corinthia Defense. I think Corinthia we call Aberly stock in America. I think that's their subsidiary in America, but it's an Austrian company, Corinthia. And they have a sleeping bag that's a Defense 4. It's pretty pricey unless you get the German surplus version. Um, I think the Aberly stock version in America, I think it's way overpriced. But, you know, it's a synthetic bag and it's the equivalent of our intermediate bag like what we call the winter bag and it also has a really good uh water resistant shell on it so you know i would always bring my bivy because of condensation in very humid areas and so you're waking up with frost in your tent um that's why i'd have the bivy but this thing not only is it just as warm as our mss with the bivy but it's also resistant to that frost and dew you'll wake up with and your tent. And I know even without con, like if I'm sleeping in a tarp and I got plenty of open space, like if, if I'm in a humid environment, I'm waking up wet no matter what. Mm-hmm. So this is like the only bag I've seen that could keep me warm and freezing temperatures, but also deal with that without having to add a bivy. Got it. Got it. And Randall, you know, I was thinking about my next question and uh, it was going to be related to food. And I realized that I only asked you six questions on the, the hiking pole. Oh. <laughs> now, an important one and that may be why your your score is so high so uh, let me ask you that seventh question when it comes to food out there are you, do you carry a stove do you go uh, cold soak or stoveless uh that all depends I, I prefer a stove um just to have warm food but i also use mres a lot i got i got crates of those and that's you know you got the little heater in there so you don't even have to worry about it but yeah, I'd usually be a stove guy that I've I've seen the videos on cold soaking and I'm like, oh man, no, that, that's a luxury thing for me. I want hot food. Okay, that's a good answer. No, no point deduction. You're still at 37. But I was thinking about <laughs> uh, MREs because I had talked to a, a young lady who got into um, backpacking through hiking uh, because of her boyfriend and they were both kind of novices at it. And so he told her to go buy food. And so she, instead of going and finding you know dehydrated meals or uh, you know, kind of your standard through hiking fare. She she ended up at some military resupply and just picked up all of these MREs, and she thought that was that was how you did it. That's how you ate out there is you used MREs. 
Oh, they're great. They're they're expensive, but um, if you have some, they're awesome because you just you know you field strip those down and you're good on calories. Might be, uh, I guess the packs. You know, it'd be kind of heavy for you guys, but not having to make a fire or boil water. That's like awesome. You know, that, that's why the military uses them. Imagine 30, 19 year old kids sitting around the woods with their little camping stoves, you know, like you're, you're burning that place down for sure. It's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then if, if you get attacked or something happens, you got to move for whatever reason, everybody's got to pack their stuff up. Yeah. So the MREs like, yeah, that's awesome. Right. Are you still a, a big fan of MREs? You still, you still consume those uh, in your adventures? Oh yeah. Um, that's usually, um, if I, if I don't feel like messing with stoves, that's, that's what I'll bring. Um, it, you know, it's funny, like eating them so much when deployed, like uh, most of my friends, they'll never touch them again, but I was, I was always okay with them. Um, like down on the Gulf coast after hurricanes, that's what they'll give out to people. You know, they get to put them on their stoves and add extra ingredients and all that, but I never had a problem with them. Like I, if I, if I had to eat them for another month, I'd probably get mad about it, but yeah, like um, when when we're doing the seer challenge, you know, that's what guys get in the field. I'm they're not getting food and all that. I give them an MRE. Nice, and that is the perfect segue, Mississippi. Let's talk about the seer challenge. We we've uh, alluded to it a couple of times. It sounds like this is your has been your passion for the last couple of years. Tell us what is the seer challenge. Um, so it's a seer is. A military acronym for survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So any of your special operations guys, pilots, um, I did it as a sniper. You have to go through a course. There's like a really long course um, for the full thing. And that's just a whole training, like surviving interrogation, um, getting through all that. It's like a whole system. And so for the seer challenge i wanted to take this whole seer um in, like test and just have either in the future i'm going to have other people come out and do it but i wanted to start with like-minded youtubers you know survival guys bushcraft military survival dudes and um put them out here and put them through these these tests and let them go through it so it's essentially um, all components of SEER. And then last year's season is the main base. And that's where you have two guys and you have uh, one guy's a survivor. He's dropped off at an unknown, unknown location. He's got to figure out how to get up to a certain endpoint, And he's got 24 hours to do that with nothing while he's being hunted by the other contestant who is the hunter. And he's supported by like a scouting team. So we give him, quads drones binoculars night vision all this cool stuff and he has a team the other contestant as the hunter has a team to try to hunt down the survivor so either the guy makes it to the endpoints or he gets captured we switch and then the next guy goes through as a survivor so this upcoming season two is like the first test run of the full seer incorporation so interrogation and all that and um, I can't spoil too much, but it's going to be if, if people go watch the first season, that was more of evasion, survival and evasion. So we're going to incorporate all the other letters. And it's um, th this like I just got back from doing that. And it was uh, it was pretty intense, really fun. 
you've added interrogation did you say yeah holy smokes i i i don't i don't even know i don't even know what that looks like <laughs> well if, if people look up seer it's cool on seer on youtube they'll see my stuff pop up but you can see how the military does it like that's your resistance part resisting to interrogation and so in the full 30-day seer course you know these guys are living in like vietnam style cages and boxes it's just it it's brutal I did a condensed version in my sniper school. It was like three days long. And that's kind of how I decided to compress it for this. Cause um, I do it as a five day event. You know, we, I can't have people taking off work and their families for 30 days. So I did, I copied my compressed version and it's all about, um, you know, just go like what a lot of these lessons came out of like Vietnam, those prisoners of war, like how they, how they resisted, you know, the enemy just, you know, coming at them every day, like being uncomfortable, sensory deprivation, you know, we're not actually torturing anybody um, because that's, that's not, enough. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like in the full course and like when I did there, there's waterboarding and you're, you're, there's cold water involved in stress positions. Um, but like just straight up torture, like, um, like in the course, they'll, they'll beat guys up, you know, but it's, it's not really necessary. You, you can harass guys and, you can mess with their minds in other ways. You don't have to just beat people up. So we took that and what I went through, just discomfort and just all the other things in there and put it with these contestants. And it worked out, it worked out pretty well. It was one of, one of the guys is a Marine, Marine infantry dude. And so he's, he's pretty gung ho. And um, even this condensed light version was, it was enough to, you know, get him pretty upset. And so by the time he escapes and he has his 24 hours to get up to the endpoint, you know, he's disoriented, you know, confused, tired, cold, hungry, and he's in the perfect situation to point out like how everything, all of this is easy until you're stressed and tired and hungry and cold. And so it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun this year. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like uh, this series that I came across maybe 10, 15 years ago on one of the channels on cable is called Man Tracker. It was about a, a guy on horseback who was uh, he was one of the premier trackers in Canada and he could find anybody. They bring this guy in when there was escaped uh, criminals or manhunts and he would track these guys down. So they, they created basically a show about him where it was the same thing. They would release some guy. Or, or even pairs of guys uh, out in the wild somewhere, and they had to get to a, an endpoint. And he started off in some other location, and uh, just looking at the the you know the the tracks and the the stuff on the ground left by them, signs left by them, and, and tried to to track them down and catch them before the the time expired. But this sounds like Man Tracker on steroids. Yeah, I'll have to go check that out. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty entertaining. And just uh, seeing how this guy, I mean, just his analysis of uh, the signs and the tracks that he he would find and and what, what that led, what direction that led him into, but nothing, nothing like the other components that you're talking about with the SEER challenge. Yeah, that's one reason I incorporated them. Like the, the first season last year was just the first kind of test run. And so um, we kind of held back a little bit. But having survival and the title, you know, it's kind of like, ah, well, they're not out there like catching bunny rabbits and eating them and all this stuff. So we had to add the other components. And um, with that, you know, there's all these survival shows out there now that are just 
outstanding. The the kind of stuff guys are doing out there in the wild. So I, I kind of like leaned away from that. It was like, well, let's, let's get heavy into the, this, the actual seeker part. Um, Cause you know, I, I couldn't compete with those shows anyway, but I also wanted to show like that side of it, the whole resistance and evasion and stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of like I pick on the bushcraft community every now and then, like, you know um, it, it's all really good field craft stuff. It's, it's, it's good tasks and it's all entertaining to watch, but, you know, if you're actually evading somebody or you're trying to be stealthy, you know, you're not doing most of that. Just like what I said with building shelters, like if you think if you think somebody's after you, you're not building a shelter. You know, what's the point? You might have to bug out real quick or building that shelter is going to get you compromised and caught anyway. So that was kind of the whole idea is like I, I wanted to get there's some survival. They have to survive the elements and deal with, you know, like we didn't give them food, so they're just hungry. Um, so there, there's some survival parts dealing with the terrain and all that, but it's mostly the other parts of the acronym that we really wanted to push. And it was fun, you know, uh, Coleman outdoors was out there. He was one of the contestants last year. No, was he really? Oh yeah. You should wow. go watch it. Yes. So it was a backpacker versus a military you know, train survivalist and, uh, Eric, oh, Eric killed it. Great. That's a great concept. Put pairing them up like that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, for, for not being trained in this, Eric, he, he did a fantastic job. Like he impressed us all. And so, but it was fun to see him navigate this new environment, you know, cause he's used to following trails. And so, you know, he showed up with like hiking pants and a t-shirt and I'm like, dude, you need, let me give you some military stuff and a long sleeve shirt. He's like, oh, I'm good. You know, like an hour into it, he's getting torn up. Like his arms are all scratched up. Cause you're like crawling through this manzanita and stuff. And just watching him, he did really good at adapting, you know, to how you have to move in the woods. If you want to be stealthy and avoid somebody catching you, you know, like you don't just crest a hill and walk over it. Um, so like we had the drone overhead looking for them and um you know all that stuff so it's is pretty cool pretty cool balance I, I won't if you haven't seen it so I won't give away yeah don't give it away it, I'm, I'm gonna it, check it'll it out. be entertaining <laughs> I'm gonna check it out now you mentioned survival a lot of different survival shows out there um, my son and I uh, I go by Doc he goes by jukebox that's his trail name because he could sing anything on command we actually did a companion podcast uh, for two seasons for alone where they drop you off in the middle of middle of nowhere, you know, 10 different contestants, they're all isolated from each other. And whoever stays out the longest actually wins the, the grand prize. And oh. one of the two seasons that we did, um, one of the contestants actually, his name was Roland. He was, he actually, he won the whole, the whole thing. He actually stayed out a uh, hundred days uh, just with the, the tools that he had living off the land. He had a confrontation with a musk ox uh, and took it down with, with just a knife. So, wow. uh, that was pretty, that was pretty, uh, impressive. Yeah. See, everybody refers me to that show and I haven't seen it yet. So I need well, you to go check it that? out. You got to check that out. No. That's it's pretty good. I'm a loser for being interested in all this stuff. Like I'm not caught up at all. Like <laughs> I, I know the old show survivor and like that surviving wild, their naked show, you know, yeah. like it's, that's naked, all pretty Hollywood, but yeah. Yeah. But people keep referring me to alone and I'm like, I'll go check it out, man. One day. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. You, you, you're a busy guy. So there's only so much you can, you can focus on, but um, you're right with like survivor and naked and afraid. There's camera people out there. I mean, they're, they're living amongst the crew. And so it's, it's not really, you know, by yourself, but alone, they actually drop the contestants off. And before they drop them off, they, they train them how to use the camera equipment and they drop a, uh, okay. a, a container, a crate, big crate of uh, camera equipment and they have to charge the batteries and, um, they come out and there's a medical, uh, a weekly medical check on them. And they, they then bring back the, uh, recharge batteries at that point, but they have to film everything. They're responsible for filming everything. Everything you see during the show is based on contestant, uh, footage that they actually filmed. And they're out there in the middle of nowhere with, with, uh, that there's like at least five miles between each of them. And so they, they have no idea, uh, how many people are still participating in the challenge. Uh, you only get mm-hmm. notified that you're the winner when everybody else has dropped out. They come out during their weekly check and say, Hey, guess what? Congratulations. You won. And there was an extra $500,000. I hate to ruin this, this season for you, but there's an extra $500,000 if you made it out past hundred days. And so this wow. guy that killed the, killed the muskox, he, he, uh, he was the winner and he made it past hundred days. The longest ever, anybody's ever been out there. That's yeah. That's definitely a psychological part right there being right. out there alone. And you don't even know what the other guys are up to. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, uh, that's the wrinkle, right? I mean, they, many of them very, very well versed in field uh, bushcraft and, and living in the field and, and surviving, but just being out there by themselves for that extended period of time, you could literally watch the deterioration of their mental state as they just, it couldn't deal with the loneliness. Oh yeah. Isolation will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty cool. I, I will check that out. Where do they film that stuff at? Do you know, or is it all different places? So they they different seasons have occurred in different places. The last couple of seasons, I think, were done at the uh, Great Indian Slave Lake up in the, the northern reaches of Canada. It's really really isolated. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's serious wilderness. Yeah. Yep. All right. Awesome. Hey Randall, what, what's your next challenge? What uh, what's the next big adventure for you? You know, I don't know. Um, kind of just uh, going with life at this point. I'm uh, having fun exploring all this uh, digital media stuff, and you know, being outdoors. I guess uh, my main priority in the near future is getting this damn cabin uh, more livable. <laughs> That's you know, I, I'm, I'm flying back and forth but for work and everything. And so I have very limited time to work out there. So when I am at the cabin, it's just work and, uh, going down to Lowe's just to pick up some supplies, you know, that's like four hours out of your day. Cause it's pretty out there. So that's probably the near term thing. And, you know, anything past that, I'm it's, uh, kind of a play it by ear, dude. I'm like, a am I'm, I'm adaptive you know whatever comes my way now when i'm doing home repair and i've got to make a trip to home depot or to lowe's it's never just one trip right i I get what i think i need and then i come back and i'm like oh no i needed i needed this too or or this is the wrong the wrong piece i need to get this and so it's it's usually multiple trips like you don't have that luxury when it's when it's two hours away no i'm if i'm going to buy something it's i'm battle planning it like every possible supply i could need associated with that job and then i'll just double buy everything so i'm, I'm gonna try not to turn into a hoarder like a lot of people out there but uh you kind of end up with extra stuff 
Cause like if, you know, if you have a water pipe bust, there's no just running to the store to buy a cap and some glue, you know? So you, you got to have some things on hand and yeah, it's always buy double. <laughs> that is a very military frame of reference. You want to be uh, you have some <laughs> redundancy there to make sure that the things still work. Two is one and one is none. There you go. And that reminds me of one of my favorite guests on the podcast. He's been on uh, three or four times. Uh, ben Vaughn, who was re- retired uh, lieutenant commander in, I think, the Navy. He's going to kill me if I got that wrong. But uh, he goes by Ginger Balls is his trail name. And uh, you have to listen to that episode when he showed up to to do the Appalachian Trail. Um, first long, long hike that he's ever done. And he had just retired from the military. And he brought three of everything. And his pack weighed probably close to 70 pounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he runs into a guy who, unbeknownst to him, is uh, doing his third uh, long trail. So he's becoming a triple crowner, and he's about uh, 20 years old, and he's got like a, a, a you know, 10-pound pack, less than 10 pounds. And they're, the, the funny moment here is they're both looking at each other, having just met each other and looking at each other's packs, and they're both thinking to themselves, oh, this guy's never going to make it, which uh, is just comedy gold. So, <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, Randall, you know where we are? What's that? The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. Half calf. It's time for the pro tip inside of the week where Mississippi here gets to share some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us, Randall? I'm going to, uh, steal one of y'all's terms. Um, what do you guys say? A hike your own hike. I've heard that a couple times. Uh, I'll just kind of caveat off of that a little bit. Um, I hear a lot of people say that stuff, but you also see people still get into kind of like the trends of what everybody else is doing. So my favorite thing is really just to do whatever I want. Um, and a perfect example is I get yelled at all the time for wearing blue jeans out in the field and I'm, I'm fine with it. It works for me. I'm not going to tell people to go into blizzards hiking with, you know, denim on, but, um, I, I think that's probably when we talk about having an adventure outdoors, like, um, look at what's, look at what works for other people in terms of not dying out there. Cause we don't want to be dying out there, but everything else, like I would just shut it off, you know, and just kind of figure things out how you want. Cause it's all part of the adventure. Like we weren't, we learn through pain and we learn through failure. So, um, as long as you're not dying, it, it, you know, it's all a good learning experience. So I would say that's, that's probably, um, what I would, you know, definitely suggest to people is the hike your own hike, all that stuff. Like, you know, take it to heart. Cause it's, it's all, it's, it's fun. It's fun to go out there and make your own mistakes, you know, and not worry about what everybody else is doing. Outstanding. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Mississippi. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Randall, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures as well as the next season of the Sear challenge? I'm primarily on YouTube and it's just grunt proof search that and you'll find me. Um, it's grunt proof on every other social media. If you want to keep in touch in those ways, the, uh, seer challenge two should be up. 
hopefully by March of 2023 and um, everything else in the meantime, it's going to be the standard gear reviews outdoors and uh, whatever military shenanigans I want to throw at people. Okay. That's perfect, Randall, because I think this, this episode, the way it's going to play out, this, this episode is going to come out in March of uh, 2023. So we've got uh, a few perfect. episodes in the can that should line up just perfectly. Cool. All right. Hey, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Randall, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, <laughs> movie, documentary, website, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the, the trail in the off season. We call this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Okay. Well, I got to shout out Coleman Outdoors again. He's uh, probably my favorite uh, backpacker channels on YouTube, um, which should say a lot because I, I don't watch too much of that. And um, that's kind of how I found out about him. His The way he captures the adventures, I think is uh, it's it's pretty above and beyond. It really makes you see the point of why we all just go outside and climb these hills and get out there and get cold and stuff, you know, cause he shows off the views and, and the experience and everything. So, you know, he, he's become one of my friends, but he's definitely been one of the, one of those guys in that genre that I'll, I'll, when I will go look for him to see what new stuff he has going on Coleman outdoors. I think that's very appropriate. You and I are talking today because of him and uh, he is right. our <laughs> media recommendation today. So that's perfect. Have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What, what did we miss today? Wow, man. I, I thought we got everything. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I would say probably just the fact that I'm kind of international. That's uh that's a strange way to live. That's you know, that's got its whole other, that's a whole nother adventure on its own. Absolutely. We might have to have a second episode just talking about that aspect to your life. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, you know, like I said before, I'm not the stereotype, stereotypical Mississippian. Um, you know, you got the army experience and then kind of coming over here, getting a world perspective. So uh, needless to say, when I do go back to America, I don't fit in with any anybody anymore i'm always the outsider so it's uh it's kind of cool to to look at both countries in the world from an outside perspective you don't fit in with everybody you know but it's it's still kind of fun <laughs> yeah and i would i would uh postulate that uh, a corollary to the hike your own hike bit of trail wisdom that you shared with us is you know live your own life and so you know you're doing you're doing what works for you oh yeah it's fun man having a blast I got, uh, my, you know, my kids are going to be international. They, my son's seven, he's been to America four times already. So he's already traveled more across that ocean than, you know, a lot of non-military types. And it's, uh, it's cool, you know, to have bilingual kids and this, you know, it's, it's an adventure. <laughs> That'd yeah, be a whole nother episode. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, Hey Randall, that is a wrap from the John freaking Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family? Uh, well, you know, we did Coleman, but, um, I'd say, uh, Stokermatic and Brent 0331 
Um, Stoker was a, a contestant last year and actually won the first competition. I just spoiled it for you. <laughs> um, and he's also been a big help in this second season, getting like all the planning and stuff. So he definitely, um, you know, very grateful for finding him. And then Brent zeros three, three, one, you know, he's, he's got a big channel, but for him to be, uh, humble enough to come out there and participate in my games and, and, you know, that, that's, that says a lot about who he is, you know, it's a bigger channel. That was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, so just, yeah, those people that helped me do this one, that was, that was pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate them. Fantastic. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail doesn't care if you want to go downhill it doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite it doesn't even care if you've just finished the interrogation phase of the seer challenge the trail <laughs> is the trail embrace the sock